From Brussels, Belgium, I'm Suzette Gorlat, the Dean of the University of Oklahoma's College of International Studies. Welcome to Worldviews. German author Jenny Erpenbeck's work of fiction offers us windows into her country's politics and, ultimately, universal human experiences. The basic human experiences of being forced to found a new identity of loss, they connect all people in the world. We'll hear from Jenny Erpenbeck on today's show. But first, Rebecca Cruz and I discuss the status of a new law in the United Kingdom that requires companies to report salaries in order to assess the gender pay gap and the international news about the Oklahoma teacher walkout. These images that are getting out there and are in the media around the world are not particularly positive, but it does seem like there has been quite a bit of international as well as local support for these teachers. That's all coming up after the latest news from NPR. This is Worldviews. I'm Suzette Gorlott. Rebecca Cruz, let's talk about the gender pay gap, but, but talk about it in an international context, and particularly in Britain. There was a new law this year to raise the level of information about the gender pay gap in the United Kingdom. And so companies, if you're if you have a company of more than 250 people or more, which is actually pretty large company, you have to report what uh, your your pay is for men and women. And there was a deadline recently, about 10,000 companies made the deadline and about 1,500 didn't. Uh, but it definitely raises this issue, uh, considering it shows those that did report have about a 10% on the, on the average gender pay gap. Well, and speaking specifically about the UK, they do have rules in place that require men and women or whoever to be paid the same amount for the same job. But when we're talking about the gender pay gap, we're actually talking about the number of people that are in high paying jobs versus those that are in low paying jobs. And this is based, at least in this reporting, through the median measure. So what they found was over three-fourths of those that did report, and as you said, over 10,000 companies, that over three-fourths of them had a pay gap of about about 10% that favored men. Now there are about 8% that really didn't have much of a gender gap. And then there's about 14% that actually uh, favored women. Uh, But it's it's very interesting to note that. And what that really seems to show is that there are more men in high paying jobs, that their experience is deemed more valuable, and that women, particularly mothers, are being, uh, that they're not able to get into those jobs and not able to get those high paying jobs. Uh, This is going to be pretty stark, not surprising, in certain industries. So we see this in banking, in insurance companies, in the airlines. Ryanair is getting thrown out there a lot as a a company that's really had kind of a bad report here. And the idea here is to essentially shame some of these companies or to bring this out into the light and hopefully change the conversation. So this came about as the Equity Act of 2010. This was passed a while ago and went into effect last spring. And then the companies had this essentially this whole year to start collecting this data And it it was a a bit of a a mess for some of these companies because they weren't keeping the data and they had to to get it together, to look at it, to analyze it. And as you said, the deadline was this week. There were over a thousand companies that just barely made the deadline. So they they got it in on the last day and then 1,500 that uh, haven't yet. And they will be getting some letters. They have a a grace period. But if they don't comply by the end of that grace period, about a month, they're going to start getting some letters and some fines. So they will be uh, forced to comply. Well, the industries that you mentioned, it's interesting too, oil and gas. Yes. Um, but some, some 
pretty typical male-dominated fields, construction, mining, but also communications, media, Mm -hmm. education even was a significant outlier in terms of the gender pay gap. But the question, I suppose, for all of them at some point is going to be, what are they going to do about it? But uh, speaking of money and and, and perhaps speaking of women, uh, let's talk about teachers. Teachers are on our mind this week as uh, Oklahoma teachers have walked out of the classroom and are, are marching at the state capitol. And although this is a state and local issue, this is making international news. I can say right now, sitting in Belgium, for example, that this has been on people's minds here. And it's made the uh, news in the BBC and The Guardian. They're calling it the Arab Spring for teachers. So what are you making of it back at home, Rebecca? Uh, it's It's been fascinating to watch. Obviously, we've kept our eyes on the capitol, but it, it has been really remarkable to see how much international attention this is getting. Uh, we can think about, again, the UK in this is context where we see students quite often protesting uh, hikes in their expenses, or we see professors or teachers uh, striking or walking out, as I guess the official terminology here is. But we don't see that a lot in the United States, and we certainly haven't seen it in the states that we've seen it recently, West Virginia, Oklahoma now, Kentucky, and they're even talking about Arizona potentially. Uh, So this isn't necessarily the best image that we're presenting to the world, showing uh, pictures of some of the textbooks that are being used that have George Bush as president or uh, some of the equipment that is available in our classrooms, if we are kind of selling ourselves and and talking about education to the rest of the world, these images that are getting out there and are uh, in the media around the world are not particularly positive. But it does seem like there has been quite a bit of international as well as local support for these teachers who have walked out. All right, Rebecca, well, thanks for that update. And we will, of course, continue to watch what happens with our teachers in Oklahoma. Thank you. Thank you. We want to hear your thoughts about today's discussion. Leave your comments and questions in the Worldviews section of KGOU.org, or follow us on Twitter, at WorldviewsKGOU, and I'm at Suzette Rolot. Next, my colleague Rebecca Cruz and German author Jenny Erpenbeck talk about how works of fiction can humanize polarizing political issues. I'm Suzette Rolot, and you're listening to Worldviews. This is Worldviews. I'm Suzette Gorlott, the Dean of the College of International Studies at the University of Oklahoma. Our guest today is Jenny Erpenbeck, an author whose novels are set in 20th century and contemporary Germany. Through her characters, she challenges readers to see political issues through our shared human experiences. She spoke with my colleague, Rebecca Cruz. Jenny Erpenbeck, welcome to Worldviews. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Now, you are a quite renowned author, and you always seem to write about, um, to some regard, your experiences, and perhaps one could say human experiences, experiences that that took place in in Germany. One of your works that I think just sounds so fascinating is a book about a a young girl, uh, The End of Days, that you wrote and published in 2014, uh, about a young girl that's born at the beginning of the 20th century and essentially dies four times till the end end of the 20th century. And I'm, I'm curious where this idea came from and kind of what your inspiration was there. I Actually, I wanted to write a book about death. And um, what interested me was to look at the person that is in one time of her life, she is a, she's a young girl and she's in love and she dies because of this love. 
and the love is the most important thing in her life and in her dying too. And a bit later we, we find her again and she is politically engaged and she emigrates to the Soviet Union and, and, and so on. And she she is uh, dying, a, yeah, I would call it a political death in a, in a camp. Mm -hmm. If you only knew her in this time, you would only know about her political engagement. You wouldn't remember her as a loving girl uh, in the age of 18 or 19. And then a bit later, she is a very old woman and almost no one is attending the funeral. You know, and all this is in one life or to put it differently, there are so many persons in one person and there are so many changes and so many transitions. And uh, I tell these transi tra transitions by telling her death again and again. But basically it's in each of us a vi variety of, of characters and of things that make us. And as you said in the book, she's in the East, the Soviet Union. And, and that, again, was your upbringing in Eastern Germany. And, and it's interesting to note that there have been a, a lot of authors coming out of East Germany that have had those experiences. Do you think there's something about that, that period of time that has led to kind of a prolification of, of books either about that time or by authors from the East? I think this is a very deep cut in our lives. You know, we we grew up in a completely different country, even when speaking the same language, it was completely different. And and to have made this experience of of a, the breakdown of a of a complete system of a state, I think this is uh, one thing that really makes you a writer, because you are still dealing with it, <laughs> even even twenty years later. It gives you. I think it gives you the privilege of having a distance to all those systems and a, a good portion of distrust. and uh, um, Still distrust. 20, 25 years later, you find yourself skeptical? Yeah. I, I, I you know, if, for instance, if I, if I often the, the word freedom is mentioned in whatever sense, you know, I would always say, what is it? What does it mean? Whose freedom is it? You know, it's not just... The, the emotion of calling the word freedom. You know, it, it's not only about the emotional quality, which is quite big mm -hmm. with this word, but, but you know, the freedom means that um, uh, perhaps something is going on underneath. It can has to do with a lot of manipulation. You know, I would never say I believe in democracy or in things like that. You know, these words I don't like. The big words I, I distrust. Because there's history behind that for you personally and, and for... Yeah, and you, yeah. you always have to ask who, who's... At what cost? Or, yeah, yeah. 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 And it, it's, I think this, this uh, good kind of distrust I learned in the socialist system because we, we all... Uh, we, we wanted to keep... Some of us wanted to keep the, the society... Mm -hmm. Or the 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 way of yeah the way of uh, thinking, which was lost, and very very by, quickly at least yeah, the, the government was, structure uh, yeah. it was lost a bit too quickly <laughs> during the reunification. But yeah, we we learned a lot, and this is good about it. And and we we kept some ideas, and perhaps the ideas will 
will be back one day when the yeah the capitalist way of organizing things doesn't succeed 100% anymore. It's always important, and I think particularly for us in the United States, to remember that even though this was a long time ago, those effects are still in place, still in place in Germany, uh, and are tangible in, in many different ways. You're listening to my colleague Rebecca Cruz's conversation with Jenny Erpenbeck. Her most recent novel, Go, Went, Gone, is about a retired German academic who befriends North African refugees seeking asylum in Berlin. I'm Suzette Gorlott, and you're listening to Worldviews. This is Worldviews. I'm Suzette Gorlott, the Dean of the College of International Studies at the University of Oklahoma. We're talking today with Jenny Erpenbeck. Her latest novel is set during the European refugee crisis of 2015, something that altered the course of German politics. She spoke with my colleague, Rebecca Cruz. Your most recent book, a highly acclaimed book, uh, Go Went Gone, uh, in which you're again looking at an issue of, of uh, temporal relevance, something that's going on in, in your country and, and really in other places throughout Europe and, and elsewhere, and that's uh, the refugee situation. I think we are familiar with the fact that uh, there has been a, a massive influx of people into Europe and particularly into Germany, uh, from Syria, Iraq, as well as from Africa. And so you've tackled this, this uh, from the perspective of a, a retiree and how he gets involved with a group of uh, refugees or, or migrants. What was your thinking here? What were you wanting to get across to the reader? Yeah, I thought it is time to um, to connect these two, so to say, parallel worlds that are already existing in our cities, but nobody is paying much attention or nobody used to mm-hmm. pay much attention to this until in 2015 the, the you know, the really big crisis uh, started and I thought it's interested me that there are people already living in our worlds but nevertheless living in a completely other world and looking at us looking at us from their perspective you know, there, there were many uh, people I met saying, uh, yeah, it's a pity that there are so many refugees or yeah, it's uh, they are very, they don't have much much luck or so. But but nobody knew anyone at this time when I started to write the book and 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 um, you went and talked to a number of of people that were displaced. Yeah, I was just interested and I wanted to know who they were and why they came and where they ca- come came from and. I also wanted to to do some research on my own prejudices, mm-hmm. you know. You know, it's it's uh, all people. I don't know how it is here, but in Germany, there are many people saying, "Ah, they always have the newest mobile phones, and where do they get it from? And they are stealing it, and you know, and and even those questions are put in the book. And I think it's it was high time to remind people that the basic human experiences of being forced to found a new identity of loss, of uh, how to spend one's lifetime and and what chances you get to uh, make something out of it. These are very basic human questions and they connect all people in the world. And I thought it's it's time to 
to speak about it in a, in a novel and, and to make people read about it and to put all these questions I had into the book and to remind people that You know, we, we grew up in Germany and I think also in the U.S. with all those stories of surviving Jews, the guilt, the German guilt of having uh, killed so many people. And uh, there were so many stories about suffering and about uh, someone being saved just by, by chance. And these stories are part of my thinking. And, and I realized that the refugees are telling very, very similar stories about their surviving. But just because they are black or they are speaking other languages that nobody understands, just because of this, uh, people are not paying attention on it. And that's not okay. So you said you did uh, research, obviously, for the book, and you talked with some of the, the immigrants, migrants, refugees. Uh, can you maybe share with us one that really stood out to you? There was one uh, who is a real main character in my book. Uh, in the book, he's named Rashid. In reality, it was Bashir. And he was uh, a bit like the president of the group. But of course, he was no president. And the group was made of... Uh, different uh, different uh, people from different countries in Africa um, and he 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 really fought for for his people they wanted to protest against the Dublin regulations that allow them only to take a job in the country where mm -hmm. they landed first you know and in, in all other European countries they are not allowed to work which is kind of a problem and he really did well in, in fighting for his people and organizing demonstrations and, and whatever things to get some attention and only when I started interviewing him I learned and, and he was a big man <laughs> big man very charismatic and very humorous and, and, and warm-hearted person, you know, everybody liked him. And uh, only when we started speaking, I learned that his father had been killed in Nigeria mm. in 2002. And then he left the country, went to Libya, got married, they got two children. And then and when the revolution, the so-called revolution broke out, they were forced because of racist Sure. Uh, aggression. They were forced to leave the country and to enter a boat. And then they tried to cross the Mediterranean Sea. And the boat capsized and two of his children, the two children, they, they drowned. So then he, he landed in Lampedusa. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so this was his, his way, how he came to Europe. And then after having fought for so many years, he died one year ago. Oh, goodness. Yeah, and... His condition was, was not good and he never put himself into bed to rest a bit. He, he always was on 100%. Always struggling there, uh, moving forward. Then, uh, so we, we lost him and we are very sad about it. Well, it, it seems that this is the power of the art form that uh, literature or, or writing or that you can take a, a real world situation and make people think about it in a, a different context or a different format and, and humanizing that, which, which really should bring us all together. So we will we'll definitely uh, look for this book. Do you have a, another one in mind yet, or are you just taking a well-earned break? What's next on the horizon? In fall, there will be a, a, a book published, uh, a collection of, of texts I wrote in the last 25 years. Oh, my goodness. And after that, hopefully, I, I will start to, to write a new novel. I'm already thinking about it, but it's too early to speak <laughs> about it. Well, you don't slow down, do you? 
Well, thank you so much uh, for talking with us about your, your experiences and about the books that you've written. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to an interview with author Jenny Erpenbeck. She spoke with my colleague, Rebecca Cruz, about her novels set during past and present political upheavals in her native country of Germany. Worldviews is produced in partnership between KGOU and the College of International Studies at the University of Oklahoma. Katie Holland prepares our research, Caroline Halter edited this interview, and Sam Dupre produced the show. For Rebecca Cruz, I'm Suzette Rolot. Mm-hmm.